Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 179. I'm your host, vacationing Paul Rykoff. And now is still a time, definitely still a time, to stay vigilant. But it's also a time to pace ourselves. It's been a crazy few years, and everybody needs a break. Take vacation or you get stupid. Take vacation or you get stupid. It's what one of my mentors, the late, great Les Gelb, used to say. And he's right. So, right now, I'm on vacation. I've got a beer, I've got some tacos, and I'm looking at the beautiful country that is America. With my family, with my friends, just finished family softball, getting ready for a dance party, did some swimming, do whatever you gotta do, but find a way, find a way to get some vacation. And know that I appreciate you, and we all appreciate you. Special thanks to all our Patreon members and to everyone out there staying vigilant this summer. In this episode, we're going to define and explore what it means to be independent. With Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Tavis Smiley, Michael Smirconich, Evan McMullen, John Updike, Lindsey Church, we're going to discuss all of it. Over the years, we brought you some of the best voices on the biggest subjects, from Stephen Colbert to Pete Buttigieg to Rachel Maddow. The guests have been important voices to hear from at critical times in our country. And this year, we've taken some time away from the usual dumpster fire of partisanship news to focus on the issue that is nearest and dearest to our hearts, the stick that stirs our drink, independence. And specifically, why we think independents are not only an important constituency, but the key to solving our country's political stagnation and gridlock. It's never been worse than this summer. So as you listen this summer to the rhetoric and divisive partisan media as the fall midterms approach, consider this a primer, Independence 101, if you will. It'll make you a smarter voter, and it'll make you a better citizen. You'll hear from political mavericks that are challenging the status quo and seeking to redefine what it means to be political, redefining what it means to be patriotic, redefining the future. You can get the full versions of all these episodes anywhere you get podcasts or at independentamericans.us. I hope you enjoy this special episode, and I hope you can make some time to get away this summer. I'm by a lake in Maine with my family. We're having a great time. We understand all that's going on in the world, but we've got to rest. We've got to bond, and we've got to heal so we can move forward through whatever comes next. And you can take vacation too, even if you think you can't. Even if you're working a double shift, you can take a half a day away on a drive. You can take a couple hours of vacation just to yourself and get out in nature, but you've gotta find a way to take a break, especially in times like this. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together. All across America, all around the world, all summer long. We're in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin, Slava Ukraini. Take vacation or you get stupid. And stay vigilant, America. Tavis Smiley, 
I live in New York. We got Eric mm-hmm. Adams coming in after right. Bill de Blasio. But Eric Adams is an ex-cop. He's coming in as a Democrat, but kind of sounding a little bit like a Republican, like he's going to clean mm-hmm. things up. It almost sounds like Giuliani, you know, mm-hmm. 4.0, right? And, and mm-hmm. there's this there's this dynamic happening where people are afraid that L.A. is going to become this stereotype of San Francisco or or Portland, right? This, this city on fire. But you mentioned something that I think I want to pull apart, which is progressive. You've started now KBLA. I want to get into that and in, in this new phase for you as an entrepreneur and a new media company. But you call your, your effort a progressive station and you use the word progressive. Progressive seems to be defined differently by a lot of people. How do you define progressive? It's a great question. Uh, and for me, it's simply this. Progressive to me, Paul, means that you want and you live a life and try to leave a legacy that speaks to this reality. And the reality is simply this, that you want the same thing for everybody else's kids that you want for your own kids. It's just that simple. We live in a world uh, and certainly in a society that is uh, terribly divisive right now, politically, economically, that the gap between the have gots and the have nots continues to grow. I don't think that's sustainable. I think at some point you end up in a place of anarchy. I'm not calling for anarchy, but I think that poverty is a threat, not just to our democracy, but it's a threat to our national security because this growing gap cannot continue uh, uh, to exist. And so I think that in many respects, we see this country uh, divided politically, economically, socially, culturally. And we can talk about that to the extent you want to. But for me, being a progressive means what I just said that you want the same thing for everybody else's child that you want for your child. But it's not just an ideology. It's not just an idea. You have to engage a work and a witness. You have to uh, assign yourself to do the kind of labor that has to be done to create the kind of America that we want, an America that will one day be as good as it's promised. I think that's all we want, independent, left, right. We all want to live in a nation that will one day, we ain't there yet, a nation that will one day, Paul, be as good as it's promised. The problem with our nation right now is that there's a huge gap, a huge divide, a gulf between the promise of America and the possibility in America for all of our citizens. And I think that's got to be the goal for all of us, to make our nation one day a nation that will be as good as it's promised. For me, being a progressive means, again, um, advancing an agenda um, that uh, ultimately tries to get us to a place where every child in this country uh, may not end up at the same place, but they all start at the same place. We could talk about that in terms of access to an equal high quality education, access to an environment they can actually live in, access to health care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what it means to me to be a progressive, wanting and working, not just wanting, but working uh, toward an agenda, toward an America that will guarantee that every child in this country has access to the same kinds of opportunities that you would want for your own child. I've been I've been looking forward to having this part of the conversation, Tavis, because I don't think it happens enough, especially out in the media. Like I started Righteous for independence, for people who are mm-hmm. unaffiliated, for people who don't have a media network, who feel like they're left out, they're politically homeless. You can be mm-hmm. you know, a, a Democrat or Republican. If you're not a diehard partisan, you're welcome here too. And I want to build that over time. You're building KBLA around a progressive uh, philosophy, progressive values. So let me ask you two parts of that if I can. You know, I, I'm not... I don't want to perpetuate too many tribes, but I definitely don't want two tribes. And right now we only got two options, right? You got Democrats or Republicans in most areas. Can you be progressive and not be a Democrat? 
right? I think when mm-hmm. people hear progressive, they think Bernie Sanders or they mm-hmm. think AOC, but that may not be what people see themselves as. So who who is who are the, the spirit animals, if you will, or the movement yeah. leaders of how you define progressive? Obviously, you're one of them, but beyond you. Um, and and what does that look like? Does it have to be a can you be a Republican and be a progressive? So, you know, where does that sit on the spectrum and, and who are, in your view, the, the best leaders that represent those values? Yeah. So it's a very good question, which is why I'm happy to, to be in dialogue with you. You always make me think. You always challenge me, Paul, um, to re-examine the assumptions I hold. You always help me to expand my inventory of ideas. And so I'm grateful always to be in dialogue with you, my, my, my dear friend and brother. Uh, powerful question. Let me let me answer it in a couple of ways if I can. Number one, it's not so much, I think, about individuals for me as much as it is about an ideology. Uh, put another way, I think in this country so often we get wed to a particular ideology that we look right past good ideas. So I take the heart of your question about whether one has to be a Democrat just because one is progressive. In reality, I've got some major issues, uh, all uppercase, M-A-J-O-R, major issues with the Democratic Party, in part because it is not as progressive as I think it ought to be, number one. Number two, for me, being a progressive ultimately means being a truth teller. I believe that my role is to seek the truth, to speak the truth, to stand on the truth, and to do my best to stay with the truth. And I recognize that uh, I don't have a monopoly on the truth. I, I also recognize that there is there is the truth, Paul, and there is the way to the truth. And because I've arrived at a particular truth that others might not have arrived at as yet, doesn't mean that I have a monopoly on the truth, doesn't mean I'm always right. Um, it does mean, however, that my job is to try to seek and to speak and to stand on the truth. And sometimes that means making people uncomfortable. It means uh, not as Donald Trump and, and Kellyanne Conway and others would suggest. It does not mean that there are there is an, a set of alternative facts. I think that's a bunch of poppycock and nonsense. But I do think that we have to uh, do our best to tell the truth. We have to be able to say, have the courage to say what it is that we see. And that's how I see my role as a progressive. Certainly as a person of color, uh, that means sometimes advancing the narrative and trying to raise questions and and, and, and to, to ask questions and to, to address topics and to profile people who otherwise would be left out of the conversation. So for me, it's not so much about a, an individual, about an ideology or about certain ideas, but it's about uh, trying to advance a conversation about the truth that so many of us want to put our heads in the sand about, number one, writ large. Number two, I, I always, how can I put this? I, I always... Let me back up. I regard Dr. King, Paul. This is just my own assessment. I can debate you on FDR. I can debate you on uh, Abraham Lincoln. But to my mind, Dr. King, as in Martin Luther King Jr., is the greatest American this country has ever produced. That's my own assessment. The greatest American this country's produced. And King had a unique lens, a unique way of seeing the world, seeing America, certainly. And it's what he called the triple threat facing our democracy. What is that triple threat? Racism, militarism, and poverty. As a progressive, that is how I see the world. That is the lens through which I try to engage my work and witness. What are we doing on militarism? What are we doing on racism? What are we doing on poverty? Those are the three greatest threats. And these days, we can certainly add climate change and global warming to that list. But for me, and for the balance of my career, those are the three issues um, that are at the epicenter of the ways in which I try to engage, again, my work and my witness 
as a progressive. If that hope that answered your question to some. Yeah, I, I, th- this is a conversation I want to have because I think that 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 helps um, define where progressives, as you define them, where KBLA, mm-hmm. where Tavis Smiley sit on this wow. spectrum, because in my view, like it or not, people are looking to the media for leadership. And in many ways, the leadership that might have come from activism in the past. Many modern day activists are media figures, right? Mm-hmm. In the same mm-hmm. way, Dr. King was able to 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 master so many different communications formats. I mean, if Dr. King was around right now, I mean, maybe he'd be a podcaster. I don't know mm-hmm. how he would yeah. bring his mm-hmm. message to the people, but there would be a disruptive uh, component to that. So people are looking for voices, right? And mm-hmm. when you hear progressive, you might think Bernie Sanders, but a lot of people think MSNBC. Mm-hmm. And they think Chris Hayes, they think Rachel Maddow. Um, and there's a disruption happening now, but also a calcification where Tucker Carlson and, and Sean Hannity are considered the almost the thought leaders, right? And on behalf of many uh, Republicans or, and certainly right wing Republicans, right? And then similarly, Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, we can go down the list, are, are considered the thought leaders, if you will, um, for, for many on the left. For me as an independent, when I hear those values, those are things I support, right? Those three things are things I support. I think many Republicans would support them. So I'm trying to continue to find that common ground, but also kind of blow up the status quo a little bit, which is what I think you're trying to do, or, or maybe you will do um, by launching KBLA. Adam Kinzinger. When you think about tackling this, this existential threat, um, it, you're leaving Congress. You know, some folks, I understand it. I get where it's going. I get the politics of that. And it looks like you're, you're building, you know, taking your, your, your movement and building something, not unlike Trump might do or someone else. So what comes next in tackling that strategic priority? Is it you running for president? Is there an environment where Biden runs on one side, Trump runs on the other side, and you run as an alternative to both? Look, you know, in terms of that as a possibility, I don't know. And maybe, uh, you know, I think if you run, the advantage of making a run, even if it's, you know, tough to win in this environment, is you have a megaphone to tell truth. And I think that's what we're starving from is truth. I, I think on the good news side of what's happening, you know, yeah, wh- whatever it is, 60, 70 percent of Republicans believe Joe Biden wasn't elected. But 70 percent of Americans do. And I think it's important occasionally to reflect on that, that there's still a large majority, although it should be 100 percent. But, you know, it is what it is. So for me, I had to look at, okay, if I run again, I obviously go through a bruising primary. Let's not mention that the Democrats also once again, as they did 10 years ago, drew me in with a incumbent Republican member of Congress. Um, But I look at that. So you have to have on one message running for reelection to the House which takes a lot of energy and zaps a lot of energy from fighting the broader anti-conspiracy narrative nationwide. And, you know, the old the old narrative is you have to stay in office to have the influence. I think we're at a moment now where you don't necessarily have to continue to hold that office to go out and fight these bigger issues. So whether that means I run for something bigger, I don't know. Whether that means what I do know is that my passion for the country and the truth has actually increased over the last few years. And, and that's that's what we need. We're not there's not going to be a silver bullet, but there has got to be a culture of telling the truth, no matter how messy it could be. Well, there's there's also another part of this. Being in Congress sucks. Like there's a it's lot about being in Congress yep. is terrible. And and if you're freed of, of having to do fundraising and having two year cycles and having constituent management, which may be empowering, but it's a lot of work. And you and I know a lot of people in Congress and the job itself 
sucks. So I, I see you as kind of graduating out of out of Congress, but are you also graduating out of the Republican Party? What happens with regard to that? Do you do you leave the Republican Party or do you stay and fight and try to change it? Not yet. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll caveat it and say if this continues, you know, however long down the road and there's a moment where you're like, I just can't even longer identify like I'm embarrassed to say it. That's a whole different story. I'm not a Democrat, obviously. I'm still center right. Um, but at this point, I look at, at how insidious and and kind of seeping this whole what's what's become of the Republican Party has been. You have to have people willing to fight within it in the inside. Um, and I think that's what that's the role I'm playing at the moment. Now, by the way, I'll be supportive of truth telling Democratic candidates. Um, so it's not just a Republican focus for me, but I think the Republican Party needs people to stand up and tell the truth in it, because frankly, it makes it uncomfortable for a lot of Republican leaders. That needs to happen. But it, it, it also gives you still an ability to address people that otherwise won't hear from anybody that they in any way identify with. Well, I, you know, so many of us that are independent and unaffiliated, we're 40 percent of the country and arguably, you know, the most in, important affiliation is none right now. And we look to voices like you to say, OK, who's going to break free? And and right now, you know, it's not going to be Andrew Yang. It's, it's not going to be Howard Schultz. There, there's long been, I think, a, a hunger for a Colin Powell type, especially someone out of the military. We know that Michael Bloomberg considered Admiral Mullen as a, as a vice presidential candidate. Hillary Clinton considered Admiral Stravides. Is that break point for you with the Republican Party, whether or not Trump gets the nomination? It feels like watching Bloomberg decide whether he runs with you, that if Trump is the nominee, the party buys him, then you take a, a third way? It's possible. I mean, again, I think it's one of those you have to kind of analyze it almost every day on what's yeah. next. What are we going to do? And I look at it like this, you know, the, the, if we can get to a point where the 40% unaffiliated can overcome the huge massive institutional barriers to any kind of third party run, that is going to be key. I mean, as an example for Congress, if I want to get on the ballot this year as a Republican congressional candidate, it's like 600 signatures I need in Illinois. If I run as an independent, it's 13,000 signatures. And by the You're way- You're preaching to the 13, choir here, man. You're preaching to the yeah. choir here. We, we get it. Yeah. So how do we overcome that? Now, I think in the meantime, you can have truth tellers within parties. You know, just as Donald Trump shifted the base of the Republican Party, you can have truth tellers in it shifting it back. But I would love to see a third. I would love to see a third party be successful in this country because I think it drags both extremes to the center. I'd love to see it. I mean, I, you know, we talk about it and explore it all the time on this show. It, it's something we root for. And, and even if not a third party, but just a third alternative. Right. And right. If, if the scenario is Trump and, and Biden, I could see you on the stage with them. If it's somebody like Trump and, and Harris, it seems even more wide open for you. And, and I think we're waiting for it, it's kind of like watching the first quarterback leave the NFL and go to the USFL or something. Right. Like I, I'm trying to come up with the right analogy here, but we need somebody to break free and crack that seal and show that it can work. And there are folks like we've had Wes Moore on this show who I think could be beyond partisanship. He could run, you know, as an independent if there was a coalition. So are there people that you view that are allies in that quest? Uh, who who Certainly. who do you go to if you want to be an independent candidate? Obviously, you need money. So there's the Bloombergs of the world. But who are the natural allies for you if you really make a go for that? So I think there's a, there's a kind of a broad network of people 
you know, on the left, on the right, in the center that are interested in this. The key is bringing them together at the right moment. Right now is not the right moment. You don't want it to flame out early. There may be a moment if it's, for instance, Donald Trump and Harris or whoever. Um, look, in, look at Utah, for instance. You know, Evan McMullen is running yep. against Mike Lee. I've endorsed yep. Evan McMullen. Now, an independent candidacy is possible in Utah where it's not really in Illinois, for instance. But I think even if he doesn't win, and I think he has a great shot at winning, even if he doesn't win, if he, if he, you know, finishes uh, in, in the top, right. If he looks good, those are the kinds of things that can build momentum that we can learn from. He's a pioneer in that. Obviously he's actually who I voted for in 2016 for president. He's a pioneer. This process takes a while, but there is money interested in this. The key though is, is do we have to break the, what I call the political matrix, right? where you just believe it's the red pill, blue pill scenario. It's you're either pro-life, pro-choice, pro-gun, anti-gun. There's no like continuum of things in there. And right. if you run as an independent and somebody finds out, for instance, you're pro-Second Amendment, like I am, of course, with, with reasonable restrictions, uh, they're all of a sudden, well, I'm not, you know, I want more gun control, therefore I'm out and I'm going Democrat. That's been the problem yeah, ever yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, we need a coalition we, of people to see a bigger issue. And, and frankly, you know, we also need somebody who's a legitimate independent from the start and not just somebody switching jerseys. And, That's you right. know, Andrew Yang is that. And frankly, so are you. So like, mm-hmm. is, is you know, we, we need that, those first couple of people to break the seal and create the infrastructure and the donor base and the voter ID information. And we need things like, you know, ranked voting and open primaries, things that can structurally change. And I feel like there's momentum, but we're still looking for our spirit animal. Right. We're looking for that person who can be, you know, the best ghost of John McCain, whoever it is. And I think, you know, you are a person that people look to more than than just about anybody. Lindsay Church. Folks are afraid to ask questions. And I think this community is diverse. Independent Americans talks to a lot of people. Can you break it down for folks and explain what is queer? uh, What is non-binary? Why do you um, prefer to be called or asked to be called they instead of something else? Can you take us through those three pieces as a as a teachable moment, please. Yeah, let's start. Let's let's break it down. All right. So people often talk about this alphabet soup, right? This like ever growing LGBTQIA two spirit. Now, what we're trying to name is every single sexual and gender minority in a, in an acronym. And actually, what we're talking about is sexual orientation and gender identity. Those are the two things within the LGBTQ nomenclature that we're talking about. The reason why I use queer is because my gender identity isn't binary. So lesbian, gay, bisexual means that you identify as man or woman. You are attracted to man or woman. So therefore, these binaries exist. But there are many people that are attracted to just a person or understand that like they might be attracted to a trans person. They identify as pan or they identify as queer. For me, being queer is a part of my gender identity and my sexual orientation all wrapped up in the one. Um, so my gender identity is non-binary. Um, I don't believe in binaries. I think they're stupid. Um, boxes that we put ourselves into. I mean, we're sitting here independent Americans, right? Like think about your, so somebody broke this down and I thought it was the funniest and simplest way to think about it. If um, California is man and New York is woman, I'm somewhere around Iowa. Like there's this balance and this like, um, I don't believe that binary boxes were meant for us, that we actually created them in the same way that we created race, that we created sexual orientation, gender identity, like all of these things were created to put us in boxes as like a, as a tactic to like one societal control, but also like to help us reduce and eliminate fear. 
And as a non-binary person, I use they and them pronouns because I don't identify as he or she. Um, I love living my life outside of the binary. I love that like I'm not beholden to society's expectations. And I think that binaries need to go away. We put these kids, even we, the same thing we think, I think about kids, right? That we put kids in boxes very quickly and very early. We give them blue, we give them pink, we call them tomboys, we call them sissies, we call them fairies. Like we literally are transphobic to our own kids because we still think that they have to meet these cultural norms. What I actually want to ask people more than what people are asking me is why does it make sense that you wear pink because you have something between your, between your pants that's that you should wear pink. Like there's a point of this that like is actually over sexualizing and, and really inappropriately gendering people based off of what you think is in their pants, which is like the most awkward, weird, strange thing that we do as a culture. And for me, I'm not, I'm just not going to be complicit in it anymore. Um, I would like to live my life in any way that I can without this rigid expectation of who I am, what I wear, how I talk, what I do, and how I succeed in the world. Um, let me tell you, it's not that simple. Um, it's definitely the lived experience. Can I pause of you all there? Yeah. Can I pause? First of all, thank you. Thank you for your, um, for your grace and, and your patience in explaining this. But I think it's important for people to have um, multiple ways to understand this and voices to explain it. And it's a hard question. Like a lot of people, especially conservative, independent people, maybe don't want to ask if you're not in the progressive space, if you're not in the movement space, if some of the language you're using, Lindsay, is new to people when you talk about movement theory and these things that I know from organizing, but are newer to other people. I think it's really important. You're, you're also... Um, touching on something really important that I think fits well with this uh, show and this community, which is none of the above. You're taking agency, right? You're saying, I'm going to define myself. I won't be defined by the construct in the same way we've talked with John Opdyke. It may be a reach, but I don't think it is. You know, you don't have to be uh, bipartisan. You can be nonpartisan. You can be none yes. of the above. You don't have to choose Democrat or Republican or independent party. You can, you're kind of unaffiliated. Right. Yes. And politically, I think that's why I wanted to explore this, because I think there is overlap. People who, who, who are uh, who have a very clear or firm or strong or, or passionate um, sense of their identity, um, I think, are probably more politically independent, too. And I think for a long time, it's been assumed that they're going to be Democrats uh, and that the Republicans are going to drive them away, which they have been. But I'm also saying, hey, there's also another option, which is none of the above. And in a time where it seems like, especially in the last two weeks, more Democrats are recognizing the inadequacy of the Democratic Party than ever before, this is a moment. Michael Smirconich. More and more Americans are choosing none of the above. The, the people who are leaving the Republican Party, especially right now, are, uh, is a high number. But also, I think, underreported and underappreciated is the number of young people who are not joining a party, right? You're kind of an older generation of Republicans, usually moderate, usually strong on national defense, maybe socially liberal, who leave the Republican Party. Um, you've got some folks that have left the Democratic Party because they felt you know, Kamala Harris or, or Bernie Sanders were too far left. There's a lot of politically homeless people. But this new generation, I think, is, is really the one that's exciting because you're of a generation where you wore, you know, one jersey and you switched your jersey. And then you've got folks like Andrew Yang who wore another jersey and are now switching. But what about the people coming up who never picked a jersey? There's this new generation of Americans that consider themselves independent and unaffiliated. But what is your insight into who independents and unaffiliateds are in America right now? 
So it's interesting that you raise that because my wife and I have four children, a daughter who's in her, who is in her early 30s and then three sons who are in their early to mid 20s. They didn't have the benefit that I had of growing up in a Republican Party where you could look to, you know, here's here's my prototypical uh, solid Republican. George Herbert Walker Bush, Papa Bush, Bush 41, class act, dedicated his life to public service, given the way that he was raised, could have gone in a different direction and and never had to worry about, you know, taking care of other people um, because he had a very privileged background, but instead goes totally, you know, game on to help others and to serve. But today, if you were to ask the 20-somethings to identify Republicans, like, who are you getting? You know, you're going to get these fringe types that now dominate the media. And that's all they know. And I think that's what's driven them away from the Republican Party and to an extent away from the Democratic Party as well. Because the people who the people who get all the attention are the bomb throwers, the verbal bomb throwers, those who succeed in social media and can fundraise from it. But they don't achieve. They don't accomplish squat. I mean, the, the path, I say this all the time, Paul, on my own program is the path to get ahead today in Washington is no longer to get elected, establish seniority, choice committee assignment, and pass something. Now you better be nimble with your fingers in 140 characters, and you'll be able to raise a shitload of money if you can get a lot of people's attention. Hmm. So when you, when you think about that, Michael, um, and we take it to the actual structure of our political system, we've talked a lot about uh, about about open primaries and ranked choice voting, which I think is key to fundamentally redesigning this because, uh, you know, George Washington famously warned us against the dangerous the dangers of parties. But now we've devolved into this bifurcated system where it's, you know, mutually assured annihilation on, on an almost daily basis. But when you look at the political system, um, I, I want to ask you two questions. First, what do you think are the structural changes that need to happen in order to allow space for independence to 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 be viable. We see places like Maine and Alaska where it seems to be a better environment. But then also, who are those spirit animals? You know, I say it's not Andrew Yang. Uh, we had, you know, it's not Howard Schultz. Uh, there are a lot of folks who kind of self-appoint themselves as king of the independence and they assess the problem correctly, but their solution is often themselves. You know, we had Adam Kinzinger on this show uh, a couple episodes ago. I think he does represent a lot of potential for those people who are political jump ball. So, Michael, what do you think needs to change structurally? And then who are the rising stars that independence can can look to or root for? Okay, so I didn't fully answer your last question. There's one uh, lingering thought that I want to offer, and it's this, because you wanted to know, like, really, who who is this group we're talking about? In the most recent Gallup survey, they initially asked, are you an I, a D, or an R? And 42% said, I am an I, I'm an independent. And this part I don't like. Gallup then pushed them and said, yeah, okay, but which way do you lean? And right. then the story came out and the story said, oh, you know, the year began better for Democrats than it ended because the, here's what the party affiliation is between the R's and the D's. And I don't even remember the final number. It doesn't even matter to me. I was pissed that they had discounted the plurality who said, I'm an independent. And it's as if they didn't even exist. Okay. So I'm sure Gallup would say, well, a lot of people who claim they're independent, like the panache of thinking that they are independent when in fact they're more an R or a D. That may apply to a lot of folks, but not to all 42% of us. I like that you acknowledged that uh, I have lots of views. I have views on everything. They just don't line up neatly 
into an ideological box at one end of the spectrum or the other. And Paul, the people that I meet, and maybe it's a function of my social circle or where I travel or where I speak, but I meet people for whom the issues are a mixed bag. They're conservative, usually on fiscal issues, much more liberal or progressive on the social issues. Now, the answer to your question about structural change, there are a lot of structural changes that need to get made. I endorse your whole platform. Of course, we need open primaries. I like ranked choice voting. Campaign finance reform is something that we need to do so that people know who are spending for all these commercials where they have some disclaimer at the end that we can't even follow. Gerrymandering is a huge issue, but so too is self-sorting. There's something going on in this country now where those who can afford to are making geographical decisions and housing decisions to be with the like-minded, and we're being raised in these sort of parallel universes now. All those things are important, but at the top of my list, and I delivered a speech at the Reagan Library in September on exactly this, you've got to change the channel. The title of my speech was, It's Time to Change the Channel. We've never had as much media choice available to us as we do today, and yet so few of us are exercising it. Instead, we're siloed into this media landscape at the far left or the far right. I don't know about you. I don't go to bed at night without checking out the 9 p.m. slot at CNN, seeing what Rachel Maddow has to say, seeing what Hannity says. I want to hear and see all of it so that I'm getting a a balanced perspective, and then I'll make up my own mind. Now, look, that's what I do for a living. I realize other people don't have the time, but we got to get people to realize the dangerous impact of polarized media and, and, and get away from it and be open to more perspectives. Evan McMullen. How do you see the landscape and and how do you plan to win? How do you plan to bring those folks together to actually vote for an independent candidate and break the party gridlock? Well, it's a a great question. I mean, look, the reason why I'm running as an independent is is because of the following. And you you nailed some of the numbers here. But most Utahns want to replace Mike Lee. Most Utahns want change. Uh, But they are divided into old historical political tribes, Democrats, independents, Republicans, and members of third parties, like we have a United, the United Utah Party out here. And so we've got, we've got these different camps. They all want to make a change. They all want to replace Mike Lee. They all want to defend our system of self-government. Uh, they, they want similar things on a range of issues. They share values, but they've been, they're divided into these different historic camps. And there have been very few leaders who have come along and said, hey, guys, you actually have more in common than you know. And if you work together, you can actually make change. Right now in Utah, certainly with Mike Lee, the only people who are represented are the far right. Everybody else is is poorly represented in Utah. So I'm running as an independent because I want to unite this majority, this majority that wants to replace Mike Lee, that wants sensible governance, that wants government to work, that wants to stand up to the extremists that threaten our future. Uh, these people are a majority of the state, but they have to be united. We have to unite. And so that's what I'm campaigning to do. I asked the United Utah Party, instead of putting another candidate into the general election, vote to join my coalition. I asked the Democratic Party, instead of nominating someone else into the general election, vote to join my coalition. They both did that. And so, you know, there's this will be a head to head race between Mike Lee and me, a clear choice between somebody who wants to tear down our democracy and somebody who wants to make it work for, for all Americans and for, for Utah especially. So, so that's, that's why it's both 
you know, in Paul, in politics, it's it's sometimes you know it's it's rare for the political strategy and the kind of you know and, and the, the leadership needs of the country to align. But in in this case, they certainly do. I think the country just needs more independent leadership, leaders who aren't going to take their you know their cues from from le- from party bosses from other states or from special interest groups. We're not taking any special interest group mm-hmm. money. Um, you know, we, we need leaders who will act more independently, but that is also the way and the only way here to win in Utah. So those two things are very nicely aligned. It's sort of the, the, the leadership needs of the state and the country, but also the strategy. And I'm, I'm talking about our strategy very openly, that it is what it is. Unite this majority, and that's what we're working overtime to do. And I think that that's going to be the true test here. It's, it's more like a European model of cobbling together alliances, right? And creating coalition a coalition, politics, coalition yeah. politics which, which we've talked yeah. a lot about on this show. And if I, if I look at the macro, right, th- there's a trend that I see happening. You and I were talking about this before we hit record. I mean, I think there is a real moment now. And, and, and that's why I started an independent media company, because I think I want to talk to and for and with those people and focus on these issues. I think there's a thirst for an independent media company. I think if you look at things like the rise of the Lincoln, the Lincoln Project, we had Steve Schmidt on last week. Andrew Yang has now started his own effort. Uh, Kinzinger has been on this show before and may run for president as an independent option. You know, these these different factions are, are finding success um, and we'll see if they can actually coalesce. A lot of them are Republicans who've changed jerseys, right? Or Democrats have changed jerseys. Guys like you or guys like like Yang. But the, I think the real question is, is there a new generation coming up that never wore one jersey or the other that is open to this and will turn out and will vote and will raise money? So on the macro, I see it, but there's also kind of a personal moment that you've got to capture. And I think about somebody like Jesse Ventura, right? Like he had a unique profile. He was viewed as an everyman and a fighter and a person who could cross partisan lines. A lot of folks dismiss him now, got that. But if you go back to when he was really, really rising, there was a populism to him. So I think there's a question of whether or not you can capture that as a former CIA uh, operative, as a person who's grown up in Utah, as a family person. Um, can you talk about that? How are you going to capture and and really balance your national appeal with your local authenticity? Because you got to raise money. Right. You're going to have to raise a lot of money. And I think you got half of what Mike Lee's got now. He's got roughly two million. I don't know what your latest filing is, but maybe you've got one million. You're going to have national appeal. So how do you capture that as the embodiment of a new breed of of independence? Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, in our in our first quarter in the race, we outraised Mike Lee by 58 percent. And of course, he'd been raising money for 12 years or 11 years before that. So he had a little in the bank, but we've got to play catch up. But we're 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 keeping pace with him, and we hope to 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 do much much better than that. And I think now that it's a clear head to head race between Mike Lee and me, we can do that. But we, you know, we need everybody's help to to catch up because uh, again, he had a, a decade head start. But but look, I I will say that you know for for me, it's about making sure that that government is responsive and accountable to, to, to people actually, right? And, and I just don't think it, it, it is anymore in many cases. And, and that is, I guess, you know, yes, a populist message, but it's also just the right message and it, it's right for Utah too. I mean, Mike Lee, for example, talking about money in our first, I don't know what it was in the last quarter, but in our first quarter in the race, 43% of Mike Lee's money came from PACs and special interest groups. We took zero dollars. We took not a cent from PACs and special interest groups. So that tells you, if you wonder, if you're a Utah, 
why doesn't, why doesn't Mike Lee represent me? Why doesn't he care what I think? Many Utahns say to me, look, he won't even take my meeting. If he does take my meeting, he tells me what he thinks I should know. He doesn't listen. I mean, I hear that all the time. And, and you wonder, well, why not? Well, you know, follow the money. It's because he is supported broadly by extremist organizations and special interest groups and PACs. That's where Mike Lee gets his money. And that's why Utahns don't have a voice. That's why he was willing to take the Senate seat that he has because we put him there and use it to try to dismantle our democratic republic. That's how bad things have gotten. And so, you know, my message is that I, I want the power to rest in the hands of the, the people, which means, you know, standing up to, to moneyed interests that, 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 uh, that, that decrease the influence of people in our politics. I want to say, look, you know, and I am saying I'm, I'm not going to be accountable to party bosses. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. And I don't care. And many people say, oh, you can't do that. They wag their finger at me and say, you can't you can't be an independent. You can't do that. That's not the way the system is. First of all, they don't understand the rules of the system. Yes, I can be an independent and I will be an independent. And, and that's what the country needs. And it upsets those who are trying to protect the status quo that is no longer serving people. But, but it upsets them because their interest is holding on to power. My interest is returning it to the people. So I guess that's a, a bit of a populist message, but it is the message that it is, it is the kind of leadership that we need for, for Utah's sake, but also for the country. I, I think that is that I think it's a test of the independent brand too, right? Like you're, you know, you're going to, I've seen you're saying independent for Senate, right? Like we're, we're really, we're going to see how that brand of independent and a lot of people view it differently. I know that as a guy who runs, you know, a show called independent Americans, people view them on many different political spectrums, but I think it's going to be a test of that brand in this moment in Utah. Right. And as you think about, your strategy to build a coalition, part of your strategy could also be to divide your opponent. And the Republican Party um, is has got Mike Lee, but they've also got Mitt Romney. You've got, you know, a relatively moderate senator on the other side. So Mitt Romney is a key factor here, I think. John Updike. I think that independence cannot be understood using the traditional tools of understanding that have been given to us by the Democratic and Republican parties, which are which are um, ideological tools. So the typical way that independents are taught to understand themselves as being in the middle, we're kind of in between the Democrats and Republicans. I think that's that's garbage. Independents have opinions all over the place. Conservative opinions, liberal opinions, libertarian opinions, socialist opinions, and not just amongst themselves, but within themselves. I mean, a lot of independents are left, right, and center all at the same time. I think the, 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 the most accurate and also developmental way to understand independence, what it means to be an independent, is that it's an act of non-compliance. It's saying, I, in a small way, just by how I identify myself, how I register to vote, I'm not buying in to the blue, red, political construct. I just think there's something fishy about that. There's something that is that that is not a, a construct that serves the American people and serves our country and our world. It serves the parties themselves and I'm opting out. So the, the political challenge in my view is how do you create power for those of us who have who are not complying with the dominant framework? and amplify that and challenge. I mean, you know this, uh, 
the pollsters, whenever they whenever they do a poll and they talk to independents, they say, are, you know, are you a Democrat, Republican or independent? If you say I'm an independent, they don't let it sit with that. They say, OK, fine, you're an independent. But do you lean Democrat or lean Republican? Meaning, yeah, I know you think you're special, but everybody in America has to be team red or team blue. So pick a team. That's coercion. It's un-American, it's undemocratic, and we independents have to find creative ways, I think, this is my opinion, to give expression to the fact that there are lots of us. We have the numbers. We don't have the narrative, but we have the numbers mm. to do something new in this country. I, I want to pull that apart. I think that's a really important starting point, John, because it's not that they don't want one or the other. They're saying none of the above, right? They're not walking in the store and saying, I don't want Coke or Pepsi. They're saying, I'm not walking in the store. Right. It, it, and it's also kind of a, a, a fuck you to the system or to or to the construct or to the imposition that you must choose in a world of freedom and, and, and choice. And I think we've seen that increasingly uh, in this country in the last couple of years. Now, broadly, you know, some of the polling I see says 42 percent of Americans or 42 percent of voters are unaffiliated or independent? Does that number seem right to you? Yes, and, yes. And, and, and can you talk about demographics? Do, how much do we know about gender, race, geography of that 42% of voters, right? Not Americans, but 42% of registered voters. Is that right? Yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's the demographics are pretty uh, amazing because they're in the states that register voters by party which is 30 states, they are on track to be the largest group or second largest group by 2030. That's red states. That's blue states. That's purple states. 49% um, of Afghan and Iraqi vets are independent. 45% of Latinos and Asians are independent. 52% of young people are registering independent. So it's both, it's an accelerating trend. It is not confined to one region of the country, nor to a particular ideology uh, or rural, urban. It just, it breaks through all the different category, categories and silos that we've been taught to think about uh, by the two parties. And it's really a trend, uh, as I said before, of people saying, I I'm just not going to sign up for your game. Mm. And, I, and we've talked a lot about, you know, I think the biggest most powerful party in, in America right now is is no party at all. And the demographics are really important, I think, especially among young people, because young people tend to reject the existing structures. They're, they're not joining clubs in the same way. They're used to having right. Netflix and Amazon and multiple right. options. So to be able to go to the ballot box and only have two options seems wrong to them. Right. And I think that that's a really important generational divide that I see growing. Um, but I want to ask you ask you to focus on on a leadership component that we We've explored a bit on this show. We've had folks like Evan McMullen on. We've, we've talked to Adam Kinzinger. Uh, we've had folks like Admiral Mike Mullen, who, who was, you know, vetted to be Mike, uh, Mike Bloomberg's vice president if he ran as an independent. Can you talk about how much you think the definition of independence is being defined by the limited number of candidates we've got? People tend to think of independence as people who follow Ross Perot or follow Steve Forbes or follow Gary Johnson. Now, maybe follow Andrew Yang. Can you talk about how by default and maybe even laziness, the American conversation has defaulted to understanding independence as followers of specific people who may not actually be good examples of what a modern independent is? 
that's a that's a very thorny and difficult question. Um, and let, let me just offer a few thoughts. Please. It won't be comprehensive. <laughs> I, I think there's a there's a real struggle going on, and people are grappling with it, like all the people you just mentioned, with how to organize independence. How do you build political organization that gives expression to that? And I think that as someone who was involved in the Reform Party, which came out of the Perot movement, um, this is a, such a difficult question because one of the features of independent voters is that they don't like political parties, including alternative parties. And yet, how, it, it still leaves open the question, how do you express any kind of political clout when organization is a key to that? Something I've been trying to raise money for for a decade and I've completely failed. No one has invested a penny in this is a national group called the League of Independent Voters. I, I think, see, see, I think some of what Andrew Yang and Evan McMullen, and again, I, I know these folks, I admire them and, and dozens of others, have to take seriously is that before we can build a party, we need a movement. And maybe there's some kind of transitionary organizations that are not quite parties, but they're, but they're not complete anarchy that give independents an opportunity to, 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 in some ways, go to the gym and start exercising and start developing their voice. Because as I said before, we have the numbers, but we don't have the narrative. We don't have any voice in American politics, even though we decide the outcomes in every, every national election, it's independents who determine the winner, whether it's Obama, Trump, Biden, we're the ones who are deciding, but we have no voice. So I think this organizational issue is the, is the real, it's where we're at as a movement. And I, I have no simple solution. And I really admire the people that are grappling with it, including myself and others, but it's tough. The Demo see the Democrats and Republicans, they don't just control the rules of the game. They're not just the Coke and the Pepsi, okay? They completely control how we think about politics in the United States of America. They control the narrative. So when you're going up against that, that's no small thing. I, 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 I think there's so much important stuff in that. And it's frankly why I created Righteous Media. I wanted to create an, an independent politically unaffiliated uh, network for, yeah. for folks who are looking for alternatives. We had um, Michael Smirkanich on this show, right? We've had uh, Steve Schmidt on this show. We've had folks that, that maybe some folks view as those people who are helping shape that understanding. Powered Power. by Righteous Media.